the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Our series is simply entitled Finding Pleasure in God. Now that pleasure is uniquely attached to our affections, our emotions, which we'll see next on Truth For Today. Hi there, and welcome to Truth For Today with Pastor Phil Howard. We're continuing our series, Finding Pleasure in God, and that pleasure can be wrapped up in our affections. And over the course of the next few programs, we'll take a look at a couple of those affections, primarily love and joy. Today, we begin with a look at love out of 1 Corinthians 13, verses 4 through 7. From Valley Bible Church in Hercules, let's catch up with Pastor Phil Howard with today's broadcast of Truth For Today. My daughters, they say, you're so hard to buy for. Every Christmas I get this. Birthday, you're hard to buy for. Why? They don't know any need I have. I say, what I need is for you to write me a glorious card on how wonderful a dad I've been to you. (laughs) I don't need another shirt. I don't need, I need your love. I don't need another pair of shoes. It's the cards I keep, and sometimes I wish you would have bought a nicer shirt. (laughs) No, 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 it's the cards I keep. It's the cards, isn't that right? It's not, oh, me the need. The need is, I feel my need to be loved by the girls I fathered. And all you dads share, you're not expecting them to pay a payment. Well, contentment. Fourth thing, God gives his people peace. Have you forgot how long ago it was since you got peace? The wreck you were before you were saved? I was a wreck at 14. The last month before I was saved, I was a wreck because I thought I was plunging into hell. I was under so much conviction and fearful of the wrath of God. I was a wreck for sure. What about you? When God found you, do you remember what life was like before he flooded you with peace? And you found out you had peace with God, and then you started learning by prayer and trust. When you're in the midst of different crises, you can have the peace of God. We take it for granted, but peace is shalom, shalom. No wonder the Jewish people, shalom, peace, health, prosperity, well-being. This is the One of the catchphrases for God's people. I'm well with God. I'm at peace with God. Oh, my neighbors may like me. They may not. I may be getting along the job. I may not. But I'm at peace with God. Oh, what a sweet. I think of Ernest Snyder passing away. At peace with God, sailing home to the arms of Jesus. What What could buy you that consolation to watch your daddy slip into the presence of God and know that all is well? It is well. It is well with my soul. 
We take it for granted, maybe. But peace that delivers you from a therapist's couch, that might deliver you from all kinds of unnecessary medications, and you just found it in Christ. The peace we used to sing, I've anchored my soul in the haven of rest. How I used to love that broadcast. I found a place of rest in Christ. Fifth thing is uh, forgiveness instead of grudge-bearing. Now, this is a sure affection of God in a person's life. When God saves people, he turns them into forgivers, and they give up their grudges. Did you know what? If God was as grudge-bearing as some people, you would empty heaven of every sinner that's made it. Because nobody gets to heaven unless God forgives If God doesn't forgive, if he just keeps grudges, we've got to vacate heaven because you're not going. And I'm not going. I'm going to heaven because I'm forgiven, not because I'm perfect. And I see Christians fighting. I see some feuds that have gone on for years. I say, I I have to stretch my meaning of Christianity to call you Christian. When do we forgive? Forgive. Jesus says you ought to be praying daily, and every time you pray, you're saying, and Father, forgive me while I'm forgiving them. I know I'm a jerk about a lot of things, and a lot of things I may even forgive me, and I'm forgiving them at the same time because I want to imitate God the Father, who for Christ's sake has forgiven me of all my sins. Ephesians 4.32. Did you know it becomes a way of life that Christians cease to be picky when they really are drinking from this fountain? Because they are so aware, I've been forgiven, forgiven, forgiven. Oh, you need forgiveness? Let me return the favor. Instead of saying, you dumbbell, don't ever do this again. You hear Jesus said, don't tell them never again. Tell them you got 469 more chances to do it today. Because we're to forgive seven times 70. Have you ever done that in a day? Instead of, don't ever do that again. Oh, shut up. (laughs) What if God told you that? I forgive you this time, but you better never do it again. You got it? Why do we treat people that way? How long did it take you to break some habits and to learn good speech? I hear Christians still cussing. Man alive, I stopped cussing the month after I got saved. As a pastor, I've picked up hell and damn once in a while. But they only seem like the appropriate word, but I don't feel like I'm cussing. I really mean that. Has God just come into your life and cleaned your mouth? What well, he says, forgiveness. Does anyone here feel forgiven? Or is forgiveness just purely intellectual? I feel forgiven. There's no weight on me about any of my sins. None. None of my sins do I feel. I hope I don't do one before the service is over so I get the weight. But I feel clean because my, my sin bearer has borne it. I feel forgiven. I left the church that night as a forgiven sin. The weight fell off. Wow. He affects you. Instead of saying, I made a decision for God tonight. Yes? How do you feel? Well, the same, but I made the decision. Oh, try again. Wait till you really get saved. Because he will take the load of 
unforgiveness. Oh, you mean you've always hated your father? Yeah, still do. Oh, well, you, well, you haven't yet been saved. Well, I, I hate that woman. I hate... Wait, wait. Have you heard of God floods you with a forgiving spirit? Well, you don't know what they did. Don't have to. Can God flood your heart with forgiveness that from him and flood your heart so you pass on forgiveness because it's the overflow? Yeah. God's people. So you get a Stephen saying, Father, forgive them. They know not what they're doing. Where did he learn to pray like that? His Savior said it on the cross. That's why Christians are seen as saps and easy people to run over because you know they'll forgive. Well, we have to admit there's something in the people of God that wants to forgive. It's a new birth. It just comes with it. Well, I have seven minutes. Six, sorrow for sin. Did you know that once you become born again, Second Corinthians 7.10 says, God produces godly sorrow in you when you sin. Now, let me explain that. God says he will never be angry with you again now that you are in Christ. He will never be angry with you. Never. You'll never see any of his wrath on you, ever. It's over. Romans 8, 1, John 3, 36, the whole New Testament. The judgments pass if you're in Christ. You know what God's done? What used to make him angry with you now grieves him. Do you know the difference? You know, when your child disappoints you, it's one thing to get angry, put him on curfew, take away the car keys, and give a bunch of ultimatums. That's one thing. That's one kind of response, and I'm not saying that's wrong. But there's another that says, you broke my heart with what you did. You broke my heart. I'll grieve over this for days. I got, I got caught in a stealing ring when I was young. And I'll never forget a woman turned me in. And when I went to my dad, expect, we went in the bedroom. That's where he spanked us. And I expected the spanking. One of the hardest lessons I ever went through is when he showed me his hands and all of us boys, we have something that makes your hands go like this. And his hands were all beat up from wire rope and steel. And he showed me his hands. I'm only in third grade. Had me feel them and all this. And I thought, what's this about? Go ahead and spank me. Get it over with. And as he showed me his hands, he said, you know, son, he said, I dedicated these hands to meeting all your needs. And when you go out and steal, you tell me I'm working for nothing. It grieves your daddy. I'm so sorry you feel you got to steal. I broke down crying. I was uh, eight years old. Fell into his arms and asked his forgiveness. I wanted to steal. I didn't want to hurt my dad. I didn't want him to take it personal. And did you know what now? That you know Christ? All you do that sin is now personal against one who's got wounds in his hands for you. And he's saying, uh, I thought I'd be enough for you. 
But every time you sin, it's a statement, God's not enough. I need something he didn't want to give me. And I, I reach beyond the boundary and get it. And what does God do? Ah, that makes me sick and tired with you. No, you hear him saying, guess what? I put the spirit in you and he just sent us a message. He's grieving. Stop grieving the spirit. And you, brother, in 2 Corinthians, you've been sleeping with your stepmother and the churches had to deal with your sin. He finally told them, know this, godly sorrow, sorrow that comes from God, will produce repentance, and repentance will deliver you from the sin, but the sorrow of the world leads to death. Godly sorrow leads to deliverance. God was so grieved in us who have been affected by him. I cannot impersonally sin anymore. I've got this Holy Spirit with me 24 hours a day. I can't get away with anything wrong without him taking it personal. And sometimes I could justify it, but I've got this grieving spirit in me. And it's like I've got to stop what I'm doing and say, what, what did I do? He said, you know what you did. And you know your attitude. I'm grieved you did that. That is a divine. You know why so many people are sleeping around and doing so much sin in the church today? They're not saved. The Holy Spirit would drive them wild. You can't keep up a life of sin for long. He will break you down with grief. He's designed it. He's designed it. And the pastors may not know, but he knows. What are we? Just other sinners. But you got, you're carrying around in your body the Holy Spirit. That's one of the great effects of knowing him. Let me just read you the others. Seventh, hope. We were born again in hope, according to Romans. Saved to hope. If you looked at Romans 15, 13, that we use a lot in counseling here, We have a hope, a peace, and a joy that he says in that verse is fed by the Holy Spirit. Not by positive thinking, not by optimism courses, but by the Holy Spirit, he makes us abound in hope, which is expectation of good things. Godly fear, the fear of the Lord, is the beginning of wisdom. Uh, Over and over, Ecclesiastes 12 says the whole duty of man is to fear God and to keep his commandments. You want to obey a God you fear, and I take in this fear, you reverence, you're in awe of, you want his approval. His opinion means everything to you. Number nine is humility. And Jonathan Edwards was big on this. That when you become born again, you become childlike. You don't become childish. You become childlike. And that means teachable, easily entreated. Don't children forgive quick. You spank them. And two hours later, they forgot. They just want a banana for lunch. They just go right on. They're not keeping a little record. Daddy, you spanked me yesterday. No, adults do that. Children or something. And Jesus said, when you enter the kingdom of heaven, you come into it like a child. And there's a humility that comes with those truly saved. That Jesus, or rather Paul said, 
The reason you Philippians are fussing so much is pride is running your church. And when pride runs it, you're always in a fight. And he said, why don't you be humble among yourselves? And I can imagine someone saying, show me someone who acts that way. He says, 2-5, let this attitude constantly be in you, which was first demonstrated in Jesus. Did you know the humblest member of our church is the owner of it, and that's Christ? The humblest member in the church is the head of the church. You can't go any lower than he went to build the church, right? And those who truly know God, you won't sense greatness, I don't think, as much as you sense servanthood, contentment in their role, There's something about the fact that a sinner gets to know God. I think it can have a forever humbling effect. And read, if you get the chance, Jonathan, and he'll give you pages about the humility of truly knowing God. Tenth thing is you come to hate sin. The fear of God brings the hate of sin, and it just happens in us. I I wrote down the verse, Psalms 101. I will set no evil thing before my eyes. I hate the work of them that turn aside. I was with one of our missionaries one time, and on their TV, they had that little model. I will set no evil thing before my eyes. And I said, what a place for you to put it. said, well, we don't get to watch much. I would end with these two things. Fervency for God. Fervency for God. And uh, I think of Finney has in the Old Testament in Numbers 25, when they brought the Midianite woman in the camp, and the men of Israel, many had been slain because of their immorality with the Midianites. And this one guy brought a Midianite woman in the camp, just been committing adultery with her, and he was just bold and taking on Moses. And all of a sudden, Phinehas took a spear, and he ran, and he ran him through, killed him in front of everybody. And God said, I'll stop my anger right here, because Phinehas was zealous for my honor. Put his name down as a memorial in Israel. I had somebody there zealous for my honor. You read it, Numbers 25. Runs a spear through a guy, through his entrails, and dies. And God said, I want this deed recorded and never let it be forgotten. He, this guy that came in with this woman was flaunting my name and thought God was a joke, but not Phinehas. He said, don't you dishonor God in the camp of Israel. Jesus, when he came to the temple and they were selling the doves and making money, the verse was fulfilled that zeal for thy house has consumed me. Romans 12, we ought to be fervent for the Lord, fervent in spirit. Revelations, the seventh church, he says, I know that you're not hot or cold, but you're lukewarm. I tell you, repent and get back to your zeal for me. For I would that you were burning in zeal for me. But instead, you become sluggish, satisfied, and you're too busy counting your money to have any spiritual thirst. So there is something about knowing God that makes you fervent for him. Wish we could stay there. Last thing, longing 
panting, thirsting for God. Listen to this. As the heart panteth for the water brooks, so panteth my soul after thee, O God. Blessed are they that hunger and thirst. I'm telling you, thank you all that came to a communion service last Sunday. It was marvelous. What a great... I was under satanic attack all day that nobody would come. But we had a marvelous time. Thank you, saints, for coming and worshiping. You see, what I can't do is give you a thirst for God. If you're already satisfied and you got enough, what can I say? But I read all over in the Bible, they hunger and thirst for righteousness. They shall be filled. We're like a deer that comes into these services. I am one of them. I, I not as the model, but I come with a thirst, not to preach, but to experience the living God in the midst of the redeemed. Panting, hungry, lamenting how little I prayed, lamenting how little I know him, lamenting my sluggish heart. But some way through the years, through the years of walking with him, still panting to knowing, to experiencing to weep in his presence, to sing with joy with his people. There is a pant in the heart of those who truly have been affected by God, for they have tasted and seen that this world has nothing on its menu that can quench what I'm really hungry for. What I'm hungry for will demand a glorified body, but in the meantime, I keep crying out to God from a dry and thirsty land, oh, Fill me, Lord, with you. Fill me. Deliver me from the trash heap and the desert journey of this world. I've tasted of things above. I hunger still for them. And it's in every child of God. They've been affected. And so when you get out in the world and you start sleeping with the world and eating its menu, you just get soiled. And pretty soon, as James says, you feel as though you're an adulteress. You've been untrue to your heavenly Father and to Christ. There's something about it in the heart. It's not manufactured. I, I can't, you come up here, me inject a shot of emotions or a shot of affections or it's from one tradition. It's all over the Bible. If you don't have that passion, why don't you talk with God and say, I don't have it. I'm satisfied not panting. I'm satisfied just fine. I just hope the sermons are short. Oh, no, 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 don't rob yourself. He has brought to us who have put faith in Christ. He's unloaded a whole plethora of emotions, affections, experiences. Our Christianity is not just willpower. It's people who have been affected by God. Our Father, we have joy inexpressible. We found it in you, not a bar, not in a woman, not in the stock market going up or down. We found things in you we've never found in anyone else. For you are the fountain of true delight. I pray, dear Father, make another generation get over that you're a drudgery, boring, unattractive God 
instead of thinking of you as commanding them to a life of drudgery, may they hear you say, come and drink. If you're hungry, come and eat. I'll be the fount of all you need. Save. Heal us of our backslidings, our wanderings, our lack of thirst for you. Let us experience these affections even when we're sluggish. Revive us again. In Jesus' name, amen. And with that, we come to the end of our time together here on Truth For Today, the ministry of Valley Bible Church here in Hercules with our teacher and pastor, Pastor Phil Howard. As we close out our program today, we would invite you to contact us. Let us know how the broadcast has encouraged you, has ministered to your walk and relationship with Christ. Now, there are a couple of ways that you can contact us. By phone, obviously the easiest, 855-833-9864. Again, simply call 855-833-9864. You can also write to us at 1511 M. Sycamore Avenue, Suite 278, Hercules, California. 94547 is the zip code. Now, the easiest way to get in touch with us would be through our website, truthfortodayradio.org. Now, as you stop by, you'll be able to drop us an email, but then take advantage of the many resource materials we have available, again, there at truthfortodayradio.org. You'll also be able to find out more about Valley Bible Church here in Hercules, who we are, what we believe, worship times, directions, and the like. Again, truthfortodayradio.org, or again, simply call 855-833-9864. Would you also bear in mind this radio broadcast is available through listener support. As you link arms with us financially, we are able to continue the ministry here on this radio station. So please consider that as you contact us. And then come back and join us next time for another broadcast of Truth For Today with Pastor Phil Howard. Yes.